Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. How many people were here last week? Just curious. Okay. So last week we started with uh, this series with intention. Um, and I want to spend just a few moments checking in. Anybody work with intention this last week? Oh, good. Remember we did that exercise when we said, what really matters to you? Um, anything that you want to share of note that would, that would seem important, useful, inspiring, complaining, whatever you got? Yeah. Yes. Oh, beautiful. So intention was, isn't something that you have to take on all at once. Once you get clear on it, as she said, we talked about direction. The, the phrase that I, I love of the Buddhas is inclining the mind. Just inclining the mind in that direction. Um, even if you, uh, there's a lot of work to go and a lot of practice. That's why they call this stuff practice. Uh, that if you invite a particular openness to your vision and are ready to receive uh, all the support from around you that, uh, that, that supports that vision, that's all you need to do. Grasping doesn't work. Seeing, did I get it there yet, doesn't, doesn't do it. But just inclining the mind... It's like you're reorienting yourself in a, in a healthier direction. Right. Anything else um, of note? Or half note? Okay. Well, I was encouraged to see how many hands went up. And as I say in the joy course, I keep on coming back to intention always comes back to intention. Because if you see where you want to go, if you have a clear vision and there's a, you have some kind of a map to get there, then um, everything follows from that, staying in touch with that sincerity of intention. So um, it's not now that we're moving on that you don't, have intention anymore. That is what fuels everything. And now there are ways to um, cultivate and manifest that intention. So um, this second theme in the uh, in the joy course that I teach is mindfulness. Mindfulness what I call the basic tool of a joyful life. We've explored it here many times. So there's a part of me that's 
it's wondering, gosh, if I are in the audience, are you thinking, oh, another talk on mindfulness? But, but you know, when you think about it, that's what the Buddha was talking about every time he opened up his mouth, being present and awake for your experience. So bear with me and take beginner's mind and hopefully we'll explore some aspects that we haven't gone into before. Um, by the way, the, there are a number of talks, a series of talks um, on the website. Last year, uh, after I gave three talks on mindfulness, I followed it with 11 talks or, or 12 talks on the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the, the basis of all Buddhist meditation. And um, uh, that is the, the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness. So you can get into it even more if you're, if you like. Mm. The Buddha opens that sutta, as you may recall. There is a most direct way for overcoming sorrow, lamentation, grief, and despair, for ending pain and anxiety, and for realizing the highest happiness, that is the establishment of mindfulness. It's so simple. That's the amazing thing. It's so simple, yet so profound and so elusive, it seems. Is there... Oh, a flower dropped. Oh, gee, I could hold it up and that could be the... There's a... Uh, Kate, can you be the flower? Just, just do. There's one... I can't let this go. Yeah. Okay, there's one sermon where the Buddha doesn't talk at all. He just holds up a flower. And one person, Mahamogalana, gets it. Oh, no, was it Mahakasapa? Gets it. And that, he smiles. Oh, yeah, just the suchness of things. And that was supposedly the beginning of the the Zen tradition. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so simple. Just noticing this moment. Just being awake for this moment. That's it. I, I don't know if I meant, was talking about it here, but um, when, when we were young, basically, what, did, what were you told? Pay attention. Pay attention, Johnny. Pay attention, Barbara. That's it. That's the whole of the Dharma, or that's the access to the whole of the Dharma. It's the same in the beginning, the first beginning meditation class, and all the way until the full flowering of enlightenment, where you are going, when you wake up, where you will be, is right here. And when 
the time you will be experiencing is right now. So it's not any place else. It's just waking up to the here and now. And it's so simple but profound because one or elusive, it's hard to be attentive. It's hard to pay attention. We find ourselves distracted everywhere. But when we are here, we are present for our life. I'll just mention a few basic facts about mindfulness, just to remind you the way I think of it. To see things just as they are. Not embellishing, not pretending, not diminishing. To just call it like it is. Hmm, kind of sad today. Hmm, very happy today. Oh, my shoulder hurts. Or I'm feeling great. Or I'm seeing right now. Or I'm hearing right now. Or there is bright breathing right now. Just to see clearly what's happening. You don't need to add anything to make it a better moment, more worthy of your attention, or take anything away. Just calling it like it is. Second aspect is being here in the present for experience, which is not where many of us spend a lot of time. Because the mind, just the way we're wired up, who knows why, has an amazing propensity to topple forward a little bit or far into the future, either with anticipation or fear and worry. Topple back a little bit or way back in the past with fond nostalgia or regret and guilt or replaying or being moved and touched by by things. Remembering. It's not that that is bad. Memory is, is beautiful. It's amazing. We have this capacity to remember. And it's a good thing we do because otherwise, you know, how could you learn from experience? It's hard enough as it is when you remember the past to learn. Just imagine, you know, if, if nothing registered. Um, but if we're living a lot in the past or the future or lost in fantasy, we miss out on our life. So this is just being here for it. Third aspect of mindfulness, very profound, as you start to pay attention, it becomes increasingly clear that it's all changing. Every moment is changing. Every single moment, moment after moment, life is changing. This perhaps is not news to you, but when you have an embodied experience, and when I say embodied, I, don't, I, I mean besides really understanding it in your mind, in your heart, embodying I think of as just deeper and deeper cellular understanding that that perspective is the truth, is the way things are. When that, through practice, becomes more and more 
your real understanding about life when you're having a bad day. You, know, you might be, have been practicing for four years or 40 years. You're having a bad day and you think, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm here again and this time I don't know if I'll ever get out. It's so easy in a moment to forget that. That's why we practice. But if you really get it, why you're in the middle of that trying afternoon, oh, it's hard right now. And I'll laugh again. And I'll smile again. Before you might even realize it, maybe a few hours later. It just seems so real while you're in the middle of it. If you're having a fantastic day, that's the corollary. Watch out. If you have any idea, I've finally got my life together. I've been working hard for this. Here we go. You've forgotten the basic deep truth of impermanence. And when you have an embodied deep, more and more depth in your cells to that experience, then when you're having a good day, you don't want to miss it. Because it can, it's going to go. Who knows when? could be in another moment or maybe tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. But when it goes, there's not this confusion saying, how did that happen? How did I blow it? What did I do wrong? Or this isn't fair. This isn't the way life is supposed to be. When you really get it, you're not trying to arrive at any particular destination. You are here for the ride. And you can actually even enjoy the ride no matter what cycle it is, because it's a moment of life. So that's the third thing. Seeing things clearly, being in the present, noticing how it all is changing. And the fourth is being here without getting lost in your ideas or judgments about how you think things should be. Just seeing it, calling it like it is. Seeing it clearly, but not adding the extra um, critique or review of the moment. This is a bad moment. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's just, oh, this is what's happening. And there's a tremendous freedom when you let go of that judging mind. Um, I'll just go into the next part. My mind said, should I go here or go there? It's going here. Um, so, why, why is it the, uh, the basic tool of a, a joyful life? In, in this joy course that I teach, um, I really, which, and this month the theme is mindfulness, really like to stress two among many aspects of mindfulness, 
two particular ones that I find very inspiring. One is that mindfulness has the unique quality of all the mental factors of mind to strengthen the wholesome qualities that, that lead to and are an expression of well-being, generosity, compassion, kindness, equanimity, all the good stuff. Mindfulness develops them and strengthens them and weakens all the stuff that is troublesome. All the qualities of the heart and the mind, envy, hatred, wanting, obsession, doubt, all of those qualities are weakened by mindfulness. Now, I just find that so amazing. How can, how does that work exactly? Because, okay, it's one thing if you pay attention to something, which we'll get into in a moment, that you, um, that you give it more life. But then one could easily say, well, what happens if you pay attention to doubt? Aren't you going to give that more life? How is it that that diminishes? What happens if you pay attention to anger and really focus on it, really look at it? Why doesn't it get stronger? Okay. And it might for a few moments. But that's because we're not being truly mindful. If you're truly mindful, it does not increase those unwholesome states. Why is that? Well, this is the thing uh, that helps me understand and explain it. States of suffering are contracting states. When we're frightened, how does it feel in the body? How does it feel in the mind? We feel small. We feel like we need to protect ourselves. If we're angry, you might have a lot of energy. But if you look, if you feel, there is a kind of tightening as the, what is it, not the, the sympathetic nervous system gets activated. Mm. Fight or flight. And the adrenaline flows and you are tight. Ready to pounce. And how does it feel in the mind? It feels contracted. It's not so easy to see so to see clearly. Looking at all the uh, troublesome states of suffering, when I look, there is this quality of contraction in the body and in the mind. Looking at the states of well-being, how does it feel when you are in the middle of a moment of generosity? For me, when I look, there's a quality of expansion, of opening, 
of ease, of a kind of radiating energy? How does it feel when you're performing a random act of kindness? It opens the heart. There is a a presence not contracting. And if you look at all the states of well-being, equanimity, compassion, all of them have a quality of expansiveness, of openness. What mindfulness does, how it, how it comes into play with these unwholesome and wholesome states, mindfulness itself is an opening to experience. So in the moment that you're mindful, if you're mindful, for instance, of anger, you are opening to it. There's an awareness that holds it that is not it. And in that awareness, there is a kind of release of the contraction. And the same with all of those states of sorrow and suffering and pain, those contracted states open in the face of mindfulness. And all those states of well-being, when mindfulness is added, if you're feeling kind, it feels good enough, when you're mindful and you're kind, that openness continues to, um, to flourish. That's one way that I have explaining it. You, now, you won't find this in the Pali Canon anywhere, but this is what makes sense to me more and more. And you will find in the Pali Canon and in the Abhidhamma, the Buddhist psychology, that this property of mindfulness is strengthening all the wholesome states and diminishing all the unwholesome ones. In the moment that you're mindful, you are not grasping at the pleasant. There's an openness with what is pleasant. You're not trying to clutch it and hold on to it, but you're fully being here with it and open to it, and when it goes, it goes. You're not contracting against the unpleasant. You're opening to that too and allowing yourself to experience it with wakefulness. And you're not identifying with the experience as being my anger or my joy in in that non-identification, in that not contracting, coagulating a sense of self. There's also this quality of freedom and openness. So that's one particular amazing attribute about mindfulness. Strengthening the wholesome, weakening the unwholesome. Another particularly that I have been using for the the joy course is that um, besides developing those qualities, besides developing in the moment that you are friendly with the moment, you are developing loving kindness. You're, you're actually developing the wholesome qualities and, uh, and diminishing the other ones. But when you bring your attention directly to that quality of well-being, it not only develops it, it strengthens it, it amplifies it. I was just speaking to somebody on the break who 
we were recalling together just a really lovely uh, moment that, uh, that they had on a retreat. And just in a few moments, going there, remembering how it feels. It feels it's right there. And when you really focus on it and let it register in your body, it's even more there. For instance, right now, think of something good that happened to you today or somewhere in your distant past, if it's been a hard week or whatever. Um, Just think of something um, that was really good. You saw the full moon or you thought, oh, today's the first day of spring or your kid smiled at you or um, whatever. Okay, got something? Think. Go inside and recall and uh, have an image, have a picture of it. And remember what it was like. Now, true, this is going into the past, so we are using the past skillfully. But just remember that moment of delight or ease or joy or contentment. And now put all your attention on feeling it in your body. How does this feel? How do you know you feel ease or delight or love? What's the what's the landscape of it? How does it feel in your heart, in your throat, in your face? in your belly. Just how does it feel? Pay attention. Just for the delight of it. Mm, This is what that feels like. How sweet. Okay. Could you feel it? How many people could feel something? Now, usually, we might know that we're feeling good. You know, you see some kids playing in the uh, in the schoolyard. You know, and if you're not in a hurry and you have a few moments and you you take a look and you see the kids playing, you might say, "Oh, they're so cute! Isn't that? They're so sweet!" You know, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah, so nice. But if you put your attention not only out there, but in here, how good it feels to have your heart touched by those kids, Mm. then it's like you're completing the circuit. It's not only a nice thought and a sweet sweet energy hit, but you can actually deepen the experience of that well-being. I just say, oh, how good this feels. This is what the Buddha talked about. He said, to, when you're feeling a wholesome state, to maintain and increase it. And the best way to do that is being mindful of it, giving it your presence. Now, that's all good Buddhist theory. 
but in these in recent days um, with a whole lot of neuroscience there's many corroborating um, pieces of evidence to um, drive the point home why mindfulness works here's a few different things okay first of all mindfulness changes the brain structure it actually changes the brain structure and a lot of neuroscience recently has been all about how or a lot about how uh, our brains are changed through practice here's a few good books for you if you want to get into it on this level uh, very popular books train your mind change your brain by Sharon Begley who's uh, the uh, she writes for Newsweek uh, every week. It's a really excellent book on the research that is a lot based on these conversations, Destructive Emotion by Daniel Goleman and all the people who have uh, conversations with the Dalai Lama, uh, these neuroscientists, Richie Davidson, and uh, etc., John Kabat-Zinn and all. And this one, if you really want to get into uh, more in-depth exploration, The Mindful Brain by Dan Siegel. Um, and the interesting thing is all of these people, Dan Siegel, uh, he's, he's been studying mindfulness and researching it for uh, many years. And he and these other neuroscientists are now actually sitting retreats and finding out about it firsthand. You know, a lot of scientists, you know, they say, oh, well, no, we'll, we'll contaminate the, the findings by getting too involved with our subject matter. But these guys, after seeing it all, they say, well, maybe we should check this out too. And there have been a series of, my, of um, scientist retreats. Uh, my buddy Guy Armstrong uh, has taught with Sharon Salzberg and uh, Joseph Goldstein, where you got these 85 or 90 scientists practicing mindfulness for the first time. Many of them, now they're starting to get into it. And Dan Siegel has a chapter in here, like his first experience on a mindfulness retreat at, at IMS. It's, it's quite cool. So here's some brain research, just to give you more incentive. Um, the mind, as the mind changes, the brain changes. As we think different thoughts or activate certain emotions, different parts of the brain light up or are suppressed. The more negative thoughts we run through our brain, the more those patterns are established in our circuitry. As we fo focus on wholesome thoughts with mindfulness, the positive circuits get reinforced. Mindfulness allows us to strengthen our brain's capacity to hold negative thoughts and experiences with kindness and wisdom. And that habit also changes the brain. People who practice mindfulness strengthen the circuitry, particularly in the left frontal lobe, producing numerous beneficial effects. Are you ready for this? Mindfulness triggers brainwave patterns associated with relaxed alertness. It increases serotonin levels, activating positive emotions. Mindfulness strengthens awareness of our internal state, which increases empathy. 
It counters the fight or flight part of the brain to help us relax. And it strengthens the immune system, improves cardiovascular health, and dampens chronic pain. Pretty good reasons, even if you've never heard of Buddhism or the Dharma. And by the way, there's some um, a couple of other books I want to mention if you're interested in exploring this classic full catastrophe living, John Kabat-Zinn, where he talks about um, his experience uh, with the, the uh, um, Massachusetts uh, General Hospital working with stress, um, chronic pain, chronic physical pain, emotional pain, fear, panic, anxiety, time stress, sleep, um, work stress, food stress, etc., with empirical data on how mindfulness works. And this is a really good book that's just come out that I recommend called The Mindful Way Through Depression, um, Freeing Yourself from Chronic Unhappiness by Mark Williams, John Teasdale, Zindel Siegel, and John Kabat-Zinn. If, you are, uh, if that's something that you're prone to or you know somebody who's having a hard time, um, then uh, I, I recommend this highly, Mindful Way Through Depression. Okay, so a few different ways that um, mindfulness works in a practical level that we can perhaps um, uh, bring to our daily life. One way that it works when we are confused or lost or frightened, a moment of mindfulness is the way out of that confusion. When, I, um, when I'm with somebody who sometimes is getting really lost, and that can happen, particularly on retreat. People come in and they, you know, the, you kind of let all the barriers, you know, all the, all the, uh, um, the layers down, and so you're, you, you know, you're just kind of letting the mind go wherever it does. And it's, you check in a couple, every couple of days because it's a good thing to get a reality check, right? You know, I go to my interviews on retreat. You know. um, and when somebody's kind of lost or getting spun out in this story, it's very simple to just say, can you feel your, your hands right now? Can you feel your, your feet on the ground? Can you feel your body sitting in the chair? Mm, yeah. Can you feel your breath? Mm, yeah. And in that moment, you are coming back to life, as Joanna Macy says. You short-circuit the spinning of the wheels. Just as an example, right now, think of, we won't go there too, too much, but think of a thought that stirs up some feelings. Maybe something that's, that's um, you know, been on your mind. Just let yourself go there for a moment. Okay. I won't leave you here for too long. Right now, Feel yourself sitting here. Just turn your attention to the actual fact 
that your butt is on the chair or the cushion. Know that you're breathing. It's not like you're denying reality. Actually, you are waking up to reality and coming out of your dream. So it's very grounding. Come right back here. If you can get it set up, you can open your eyes right now. If you can get it in, in practice, wired up in your mind over and over, oh, really out there now. Breathe. That is like 90% of the, the battle. Uh, let's see. just thought of a story. I will tell you a story. This is my own experience after a number of years of, of, of practice. This was 1997. I was at a, um, I was teaching down at Yucca Valley, and um, I had had an eye operation that was um, that was good because my eyes uh, are, are you know have always been really bad. I only see out of one eye, by the way. I don't see out of my, my left eye. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's how it is. I don't, it's fine with me. I haven't seen that in my left eye since I was a, a teenager. So my good eye, though, I had this operation. I had a cataract, and I got it removed, and it was great. And I was down at Yucca Valley. and uh, But there was some funny little thing that was happening on the my eye. And I didn't know if it was just my imagination or if it was real. So I called up, after like a day or so, I called up my friend, my ophthalmologist friend in San Francisco, Mark, and I said, do you think I should check this out at all? And I explained it to him. It was just like a little shade coming out of the corner. He said, yeah, I think you should get that checked out. And he gave me the number of somebody in Palm Springs. I went to the uh, their clinic, and drove by myself, you know, from Yucca Valley to Palm Springs, about 40-minute drive or so. And uh, I sat down. I didn't think. I thought it was. I, I really didn't think there was much there. I sat down, and um, the woman, uh, doctor, very nice person. She very friendly. She took a look in my eye, and she all of a sudden got very quiet. I said, what's going on? She said, um, kind of turned the lights on. She said, uh, you have a giant retinal tear in your eye. You can either come uh, have an operation immediately and be here for the next six weeks. Or you can um, get on the next plane back to San Francisco and just um, hope for the best. Okay. <laughs> and I got in the car. You know, I was, I was shaken, you know. And I proceeded to have the most amazing car ride in my life. I was all by myself. 
it was in the afternoon, but all of a sudden things got really dark. You know, it's like the, it was getting darker and darker. And um, my mind started out driving. Oh my goodness, I'm going to be blind. I go there for about 15 seconds or so. What? Come on back. You don't know. Feel your hands on the wheel. Feel your breath. Stayed with the driving for a few moments. Then, my son, is he's just 11. Is he going to be a caretaker for me? Come on back. Feel your breath. Feel your hands on the wheel. Just be here right now. You don't know anything but this moment. Will I be ever able to teach again? How, how am I going to do this? And I did that. It was at least 25, 30 times. And it wasn't that my mind spun out that was amazing. It was that somehow it came back. Oh, there was another way. And when I thought about it, you know, if I didn't have the practice, I would have just gone and, you know, been in Panic City for a while. That's how mindfulness works. And it's not that I'm anything special. If you practice it, you know, if you fall in love with the practice and do a lot of retreats, every moment of mindfulness counts. I mean, it's not that you just have to do retreats. Every moment that you're mindful in your life, in your day, counts. It is developing those seeds of presence that are there to be the greatest blessing in your life when you're starting to get confused and scattered. I can see I, I, I had a lot to say, but it's not going to be that way. Mindfulness, so it's grounding. It's a way out of confusion. Mindfulness is a moment of completeness. There's no future. There's no past. There's just this moment. You're not clinging to anything that might come. My, uh, my wife, Jane, has this great line. She told me once, and I said, God, that's incredible. Let me catch that. I think it's, let's see, is it in the mid-month letter? Hold on. Um, she says, oh, I can't find it. Right oh, here it is. Just We were just hanging out, talking one day and talking about life. And she said, sometimes I think I want more because it will make me happier. But really, the best thing to do is to settle back and be happy in this moment. That's exactly how mindfulness works. We think the next moment is going to do it, but we miss out on this moment of life right here, right now. This is where it's happening. And when it's complete, you don't need to add anything extra. It's enough right here. Mindfulness is also the development of an appreciation practice where your presence starts to notice all the amazing things in life that we usually miss. I want to read this uh, Mary Oliver poem that is beautiful. 
called mindful. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight. That leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. When you look with a poet's eye or a poet's heart, and you don't have to be Mary Oliver to do this, life is amazing. It's happening all the time. And if we can be present for it, we really get the goodies. Here's one exercise that I would just like to have you take a moment, uh, half a minute or so. Close your eyes right now. And without thinking about other things in your life, you know, past or future, look carefully at this moment like Mary Oliver does and notice what there is to appreciate in this moment of life. You can start with the fact that you're alive and you're breathing and go from there. And if you're feeling those moments of appreciation, now turn your awareness to feel how good it feels to appreciate. Just mainline it. came up with something pretty good, isn't it? It's happening all the time. If we're present for it, it's like that Las Vegas casino sign, you must be present to win. It's the same here as it is there. So mindfulness is an actual appreciation practice. I'll just quickly go go through a couple more things. Mindfulness weakens our demons. Like I said before, it, 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 it weakens unwholesome states. But here's the beautiful thing. It's one thing to be mindful and feel the completeness of the moment. Ah, yes, that really is happiness. But then when you find yourself lost in grasping or fear or whatever, in the moment that you're mindful, it's never too late. It's in that moment, oh, and here's grasping. 
oh, look at that. It not only frees you from the momentum of it, of the contraction, but that moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom. So it doesn't matter where you catch it along the way. Ah, here it is. Grasping, fear, anger. There's a space in that moment. When you feel it in your body, I was just watching, um, I don't know, how many people are watching the Eckhart Tolle uh, Oprah thing? A few? It's, there's two million people doing it right now. I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, it's like 700,000, it's two million people and Jane and I are, are, are watching it. It's, it's, it's quite good. You can just go on for free, Oprah.com and just or Google Eckhart Tolle. And he was talking just this last week about how when you're present, you actually feel the aliveness. Like right now, this is how it works. You know, you can feel, feel, just put your attention on your hand. Notice the vibration. Notice the aliveness there. Feel your heart or your chest. Just put your attention somewhere and notice what happens when you bring awareness to it. There's an aliveness that's waiting for you to discover it. That aliveness is what one component of joy. I think of joy as aliveness and connection. When you are present, there's a wholesome feeling of life moving through you. And that, that sense of openness is um, it's available any moment. Finally, I'll just mention this, it frees up energy from your mind that's s- spinning your wheels to not only be present for what's happening out there or what's happening in there, inside, but to be directly in touch with the consciousness that knows. That awareness that knows. We call it mindfulness when we say, oh, this is breathing, this is hearing. But what is it that knows that? Mindfulness points directly or gives you access directly to your true nature to the liberated mind, the awareness before concepts or ideas directly. So here's a few mindfulness practices I'll just just read and suggest that you check these out and then we're going to have to end. Okay. When the phone rings, use it as a reminder. Take a few mindful breaths. Mm, come back to yourself. When your computer is booting up, not, come on, let's go. Oh, time to be with myself. When you're waiting online or stuck in traffic, instead of the frustration, oh, time to connect, time to be still. Before you eat, to stop for a moment and know that you're eating and maybe take the first bite with presence doing a regular chore or routine, when you do it mindfully, it's not just a routine, it's life. 
going for a mindful walk around the neighborhood, just be here for it. When you think of, of, whenever you think of it, stop and take a few mindful breaths during the day. This one is radical. Instead of multitasking, try unitasking. It's much easier to be mindful when you do. Be mindful of your moods. Just to notice and check in from time to time. What am I feeling right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, freaking out. That's what's going on. (laughs) Oh, confused. Meltdown. Oh, love. In that moment, here you are again. So, um, something to play with, work with, open up to the most amazing capacity that we have for a joyful life, being present for it. And uh, we'll have to end here. Sorry, no time for questions, but a lot to say. So, we'll just end with a short loving kindness. Again, feel your presence Know that you're alive. Feel your heart. Let yourself connect, relax, and send yourself some kind thoughts. May I be happy. May I connect with all the goodness inside. Share my love well. May I see clearly through my confusions and fears to see the truth. May I awaken to my true nature and then to extend that out to everyone, all beings, as I want to be happy, may all be happy. May all find peace And right now, we can include particularly all the the people in Tibet, sending them some support and love. And all the people in the world who can be nourished by our caring. May all people, may all beings everywhere Find peace and happiness. May all come to the end of suffering. May all awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.